episode number 121 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick. We got a very special treat for you guys today, making his second appearance on Locked On New York Rangers. Vince Mercagliano is going to be joining the show, and we get into, you know, a variety of topics. Right now, the theme for Locked On throughout the week has been best performances and best moments of the season thus far. And with the Rangers, you know, you got quite a few to choose from. And as fate would have it, Vince recently wrote an article about that very topic. Vince covers the Rangers for USA Today, Lohud.com, NorthJersey.com, and the USA Today Network, and he also appeared back in episode number 106 of Locked on New York Rangers. We had a lot of fun then, and again, you know, we just talk a lot of Ranger hockey and get into some of the best performances of the season as well as some other topics. Vince and I talked for quite some time, so we're going to break it up into two parts. Part one will be today, obviously, and part two will be sometime next week, so you'll have that to look forward to as well. The only other thing I want to mention before we bring Vince in here is a couple episodes ago, I talked a little bit about the MLB Players Tournament. And what that is, is a bunch of Major League Baseball players play each other in the Major League Baseball video game, MLB The Show 20. And they play each other online. So there's a lot of friendly banter between the players. And the way it works is every single MLB franchise is represented by a real-life player on that team. For example, you've got Tommy Canely, who is representing the Yankees. He is now 11-7 and after an 0-5 start. So nice to see uh, Tommy bounce back a little bit there. And you've also got Jeff McNeil for the Mets. And McNeil is on top of the NL East with a record of 14-4 and right now, so he's obviously doing a great job as well, and it's just a good time. But the reason I brought that up was because I was hoping the NHL would kind of do something similar with its players and start its own version of a player's league and just have these guys play each other online. And lo and behold, today the news breaks that the NHL is indeed going to be doing that. They are going to have 32 teams. Now, there are only 31 teams in the NHL, but... The Seattle team that is forthcoming is going to be represented by Luke Wilson, tight end for the Seattle Seahawks. And the interesting thing here also, well, first of all, the, let's not bury the lead here. Uh, Chris Kreider going to be representing the Rangers, so that'll be a lot of fun. I tossed out a few suggestions uh, the last time I talked about this. You know, Tony D'Angelo obviously has a very big personality. Ryan Strom seems cool, but it's going to be Chris Kreider, which, again, great choice. He's going to be representing the New York Rangers. And I'm not going to list every single player here, but just to name a few of the other highlights, uh, you've got Evgeny Kuznetsov with the Capitals. You've got Tyler Johnson with the Lightning. Philip Forsberg for the Nashville Predators. James Van Riemsdyk for the Philadelphia Flyers. And then a lot of the teams actually have two players representing them, so I guess they'll it'll be co-op kind of a deal. Uh, like the Ottawa Senators, they've got Brady Kachuk and Chris Tierney. And uh, speaking of the Kachuks, you've got Matthew Kachuk and then also Noah Hannafin representing the Calgary Flames. Cam Fowler for the Anaheim Ducks. Mackenzie Blackwood for the New Jersey Devils. Matt Martin for the New York Islanders. Evander Keane and Marcus Sorensen for the San Jose Sharks. And Colton Pareko and Robert Thomas for the St. Louis Blues, just to name a few. So you get the idea. A lot of the teams being represented by one player, a lot of the teams representing by two players. I'd actually be curious to see if Chris Kreider will add a partner before this tournament begins on April 30th. Because, hey, the way I see it, him and Mika Zibanejad, they make magic happen when they're out there on the ice in real life. So let's see how they do in the virtual world together. I think Mika Zibanejad got to be Chris Kreider's teammate if he adds somebody. But, uh... 
It's going to be a lot of fun, and most importantly, the National Hockey League Foundation and Electronic Arts, EA, will donate a combined $100,000 in support of the CDC Foundation's COVID-19 relief efforts. So just great to see, and really cool to see so many players jumping on board with this right away and willing and able to participate. And for us fans, you know, it's a chance to watch some variation of live sports and get to know these players a little bit better as well. So really looking forward to it. Uh, go Chris Kreider. Individual schedules haven't dropped just yet, but it looks like the league is going to be kicking off on Thursday, April 30th. And with that, let's uh, kick off part one of our interview here with Vince Mercagliano. Enjoy. All right. And so without any further ado, let's go ahead and welcome our guest for the day, making his second appearance on Locked On New York Rangers, Mr. Vince Mercagliano. Vince, how are we doing today, buddy? Pretty good, John. How are you? Uh, hanging in there. You know, we're kind of living in some crazy times right now, but just trying to stay inside, make the best of it and, uh, you know, not get too much cabin fever. How, how are things on your end uh, regarding that? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh yeah, you kind of hit it there. Um you know, it, it it's it's like I think I was talking to my girlfriend about this last night. I think it's been like 6 weeks now, close to that since I've been home. It it feels like it's been even longer in a lot of ways, but you know, I was in that I was at that last game for the Rangers in Colorado and like everything had been go 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 for 6 months. And now it's been a lot of sitting and waiting around and you know, in some ways at first it was kind of nice to be able to catch my breath and relax a little bit, but obviously, um, you know, pretty quickly the concerns about everything that's going on started to set in. And, you know, I, I live in New York city and, and it's pretty surreal being around here uh, right now. I, I walked with uh, uh, socially distanced, but me and uh, my girlfriend and a couple of friends keeping our distance from each other walked from the Upper East side uh, to Broadway and Times square the other day. And it's pretty weird, like how empty, it is. And, uh, you know, the more you hear about the death totals and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's, it weighs on you more and more with each passing day. And it's kind of like, you know, you're sitting around and, and you're, you're trying to do your part and, you know, staying home. And I think it's, it's people can wrap their heads around doing that for a certain amount of time. But now that we're getting into like what could be the second month of that, you know, I, I think people are starting to wonder, like, you know, what it, when is the end of this? Is this, is this what it's going to be like for the next year or so? Or, like, is there going to be a safe time for us to get back to normal? And obviously no one knows right now. So I think that's what everybody's kind of grappling with. Yeah, it's it's so hard to know for sure. And one thing I've definitely noticed, you know, we, we don't go out too much. But every now and then, you know, we'll take our dog for a walk. Me and my wife will we'll just go for a walk with the dog. And you really, you really have to kind of keep your head on a swivel a little bit because I've definitely noticed that uh, some people are better at following the six foot rule than other people are. I don't know if you've picked up on that as well, but it's definitely oh, uh, the case sure. here in Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and what we did, so we walked, when we walked to uh, Times Square the other day, it's like over a hundred blocks round trip. Um, and the way there, we kind of just weaved through the streets, but on the way back, we cut through Central Park. And uh, I was, I mean, it was a, be it was a really beautiful day. I think it was Sunday. Um, and, you know, obviously people are cooped up and want to get out and you can totally understand that, but, it was pretty crowded in Central Park. And like we, I mean, we had our masks on when we walked through there, but we walked through feeling like that was probably a little bit closer than we're all supposed to be getting to a lot of people. Um, right. So, yeah, I, I think that uh, especially here in New York City, where the density is obviously and like unlike any other place, um, that's going to be a concern as, you know, I think when people see the numbers are dropping and, you know, they, they tell us that we're on the other end of the curve now. Um, you know, I think people are going to get a little more comfortable venturing out. And uh, that's where their concern for a second wave or another flare up would come into play. I mean, I'm no expert, but that's just from everything I've read that that's something that I think we have to be really aware of. 
Definitely. And uh, to dive into the hockey stuff a little bit, you know, the theme on, on Locked On this week is your team's best moments, best performances of the season. And as fate would have it, you know, you recently wrote an article about that very topic. So I figure, you know, you were at a ton of these games, obviously, you know, covering the team pretty much every game this season. So I figure I would just ask you about a couple of the ones that you mentioned in your article, maybe even a couple other ones. And uh, the one I was looking to start with here, because uh, you mentioned it in the article as well, it kind of felt like a little bit of a turning point for the Rangers. And that was the four goal comeback uh, in Montreal against the Canadians. Uh, just a wild game. Uh, what do you remember about this game? And, you know, did it feel like this was kind of like like an aha kind of moment for for the Ranger team? You know, obviously it's a young team and kind of trying to find their footing early in the season there. Yeah, well, I, honestly, so I, I, the in the poll that we did where people got to vote in their, for their favorite game of the year, the one that won out by a pretty sizable margin was Mika's five-goal game. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons for that. Obviously, you don't see one guy score five goals in a game very often. But it was also, I think, the freshest in a lot of people's memory because it had just happened. Um, but for me, in a lot of ways, that game in Montreal was the most memorable. Uh, you know, I, from a personal standpoint, I had never been to the Bell Center. I had never been uh, to Montreal before I went on that trip. Um, so, And there is just something. I mean, I think of all the arenas I got to visit this year, that was the coolest one just because of the, the energy in that building. The second time we went, it wasn't quite the same because the Canadians were kind of, I'd fallen out of it a little bit. Um, but early at that early point in the season, I mean, I think most NHL people would tell you that Montreal is one of, if not the most, you know, rabid fan base in, uh, in the league. And yeah. I mean, just the whole setup of that place, like before the game even starts, like after warmups, when you're just kind of waiting for the teams to come back out, the arena is buzzing, and you can't say that about a lot of places in the, in the NHL. And just the whole pomp and circumstance and the way that the team comes out and these little kids come out skating with these little torches and the whole place goes dark. It's just, it's just a really, really cool intro. And the entire building sings the Canadian National Anthem in French. Uh, everything is in French there. Um, yeah. And so it's it just really, really cool atmosphere. And then the way that the whole game unfolded where, like, you know, you're sitting there and they're down by four goals and you're like – you know, in your mind, you're starting to think about, okay, what am I going to write here? And, you know, this is just another, the Rangers had had some dud performances up to that point, especially in the first half of the season, the Rangers just had these games where it was like, they didn't show up. Um, yeah. And that felt like it was going to be one of those. And then the way that they rebounded and it just felt like this building and then going into that third period, I forget exactly what the score was, but I think going into the third period, they'd cut it to just one or two goals. And uh, you just had this feeling like, like they were going to pull this off. And the, the way that that whole comeback in full unfolded, Brendan Lemieux uh, had probably his best game of the year, and his dad was in the stands. Um, it was just – I remember talking to a couple of writers when we were walking out of the building, and, like, we were just looking at each other like, hey, that was, that was really cool. Like, that was one of those games that we're all going to remember. And, you know, in, in a season of 82 games, or in our case, 70 games at this point, um, you know, a lot of them can kind of blend together, but that was one in my mind, just for all the reasons that I stated that, you know, the, the atmosphere and the way that they came back, it, it did feel like it was a turning point. And it did feel like one of those games that I would look back on and remember. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned Brendan Lemieux, because I've made the joke on my show a couple of times, you know, whenever I've referenced this game, uh, he got the Broadway hat after the game. He scored two goals. Uh, he scored a shorthanded goal that tied the game at five in the third period. And 
he was so beat up after this game. He legitimately looked like Rocky Balboa, you know, like, like he had like yeah. a fedora, he had a, like a towel, his face is all cut up and bruised. It was just a great, great hockey picture. I thought of Brendan Lemieux there. Yeah. He, he looked like that almost all year, but I, yeah, yeah I definitely remember he was, you know, it, yeah. it, I feel like when I picture him in my head talking to him post game, like pretty much every time he had some kind of blood or bruise or missing tooth or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another game that I had written down, this this one was actually not in your article. And, you know, it wasn't like a great all-time spectacular performance. But I, I really enjoyed this one because Capo Caco, early in the season against the Penguins, uh, he scored twice in this game, and including the overtime winner. And, you know, I got really excited at this point because I'm thinking like, oh, man, you know, here we go. Caco is going to spread his wings and it, it, he's just going to take off from this point on. Uh, what do you remember from that game uh, as far as, you know, being in the building that night? Yeah, so for the story I wrote, we decided we would pick five, but the game, that game that you mentioned, the Tony D'Angelo hat trick, those were a couple of the games that were the most difficult to leave off. Right. Um, if, and if I remember correctly, in that Penguins game, uh, Adam Fox also had a few points in that game, and I think he assisted on uh, on Capo's winner. Um, yeah. So that game, to me, the thing that I remember about that game was, like, the kids carried the team that night. That felt like you know, we, we, there's been all this hype about all these prospects and all these young players that the Rangers are grooming. And to that point, a, a lot of the, you know, not a lot of them, but especially Capo, he had struggled. Uh, you know, he, he, for the whole season, goals didn't come that easily for him. Definitely not as easily as I think a lot of fans were hoping. Um, but that game just felt like it was a little bit of a window into what the future looked like. It felt like, wow, like these guys are really good and talented and they're going to have ups and downs this year. But this shows you that the potential is there. This shows you that, you know, these are the guys that this franchise expects to kind of be that next wave, to be those guys that are going to lead them into the next era of success. Um, and so what I remember most about that game is it just felt like a lot of the young guys stepped up and played really well. And obviously for, for Kako, uh, you know, you could tell when you talk to him or when you see him after games where he didn't play well, like he kind of wears his emotions on his sleeves uh, on his sleeve a little bit. Uh, yeah. you know, slouching, like that kind of thing. Uh, and he just, that game, he he was all smiles after that one. Like he really, you know, the, the coaching staff, I think, worked really hard to get him to not completely judge himself on points. But a player like him who's so used to scoring, um, you know, in all the, in all his prior hockey experience before this year, it weighed on him to, to really have to struggle like that this year. And, uh, you know, that that was a game that I think for him was a huge confidence boost. Yeah, I, I think also, you know, he's a guy that's going to benefit. I mean, I don't know if the NHL is going to start up again this season. It's hard to even put a percentage on it. But I think him maybe as much as anybody else could benefit from the rest because, you know, even prior to joining the Rangers, he'd basically been playing hockey nonstop for like a year, a year and a half in, in various other leagues. So I think maybe just finally getting a chance to to rest up a little bit might help him. I mean, I, I don't know. how do you Do you feel similar about that? Yeah, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. I mean, I think for him, um, just the experience is going to be huge. I mean, you know, he, he, you can, people can talk about what it's like to play in the league, but I think until you actually experience it, um, you know, you don't really know how to handle it. So for that reason, and yes, I think the rest will help for sure. Like, I think he was, de he was definitely gassed. I got the feeling really going into the all-star break, he had kind of been in a scoring drought, uh, and he had just been nonstop playing hockey for a long time, but then the Rangers had that like 10 day break or whatever it was. Uh, I, I got the sense going into that. I sat with him and, and chat. That was probably the longest conversation we had all year was right before they left for the all-star break. And he just seemed like he was really looking forward to that. So th this is an even more extended version of that. But I think ultimately 
he's going to want to have the time. And I don't know if he has access to these kind of resources right now, but he's going to want to have the time to hit the weight room, work on his strength. Uh, and I know he was doing that during the season uh, and, you know, work on his skating ability. I, I think there's certain parts of his game that you could tell are still a little raw. And I think dealing with the physicality and the speed of the league was something that, that definitely he needed to adjust to. Uh, so I think, you know, it's kind of a little awkward time right now because he, I'm sure in the off season is planning to work on those specific things, but I don't know if he has access to like, you know, a lot of guys can't get on ice right now. So I don't know if he's able to work on his skating right now. I'm sure that's probably not happening, but you know, he could be weight training for all I know, who, who knows, but um, you know, I think he needs a combination of rest, but he also needs time to improve on these aspects of his game that, that we saw he needs to work on. And uh, one game that, you know, I was actually going to save this one for last, but people are probably uh, looking forward to this one quite a bit. So let's just cover it now. Uh, Mika Zibanejad scoring five goals. I mean, as far as an individual performance, it doesn't get much better than this. The Rangers win 6-5 in overtime. He, he scores the game winner in overtime. And, you know, you mentioned this in your article. It's something I talked about on my show as well. But the diversity of the goals that night, I mean, it's backhand, deflection, one-timer, rebound, breakaway. Um just talk about that performance. I mean, have you ever seen anything like that with, with Mika Zibanejad scoring five goals against the Capitals there? No, I mean, I, I've definitely never seen anything like that. But I just think that that speaks to – and I wrote – this is a, a different story that I wrote after the season where I was kind of assessing what we learned about the team um, based on those 70 games that they got to play. You know, Artemi Panarin, for a variety of reasons, you know, deservingly was – the most talked about Ranger for most of the season. And he's, you know, he, if you're talking about Hart Trophy, like he's definitely the guy that I would think needs to be at the top of the list in terms of candidates from the Rangers. But, you know, Mika is a superstar too. Like Mika is a legitimate number one center. Mika is a huge part of this team moving forward. And the combination of having Mika Zabinajad and Artemi Panarin, that gives the Rangers that dual threat. And we saw that, you know, the original plan was to play them together on that top line and that quickly, you know, dissipated and it ended up being separate lines because I think David Quinn made it clear that he felt like separating those two guys gave the Rangers basically a, a line one A and one B. And there was they felt like the top two lines were of, you know, performing kind of at an equal level in a lot of ways and giving opponents a lot to worry about as opposed to stacking the one line. And I, you know, just, just it, that was like the coming out party for Mika. I felt like that was what got everybody around. The, like we, people that were following the Rangers all year, knew how good he was playing, and he had kind of carried over a lot. You know, he he played really well last season, and then he carried that over, and in a lot of ways, was even better this season. But I think that five goal game was the game that got the whole league to kind of focus on him and say, you know what, this guy's a legitimate superstar. It's kind of crazy that he hasn't been an All Star, but. He, you know, he gives the Rangers one of the best one-two punches in the league with him and Panarin. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you mentioned the Hart Trophy and, you know, Artemi Panarin. Obviously, he's in the mix for that. And one of the arguments that I've been making, you know, in support of Artemi Panarin is, you know, you look at, you know, the Oilers and you, you know, McDavid and, and Drysdale, they, they kind of cancel each other out a little bit. And then you look at the Bruins, you know, you've got the perfection line. Those guys all kind of cancel each other out a little bit. And the argument that I kept making for Panarin was, you know, he's, he's kind of, you know, doing it on his own. But then to your point, all of a sudden, you know, Mika Zibanejad kind of really establishes himself and, and really kind of, you know, becomes more of a household name than he's been in the past. And I mean, he's another superstar on the Rangers. So I, I don't know if I can make that 
argument anymore for, for Panarin that he's kind of doing it on his own. I mean, I know they typically play on other lines. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I, you know, one of the things that Panarin did do was he carried the team during that month when Mika was out. Yeah. Um, I think that definitely adds to his case. But you also look at, I mean, the need that he filled for this team. You know, when they signed him as a free agent, the Rangers clearly, clearly needed a top six winger who was all-star level. And he brought that to the team in spades. Uh, and, you know, if you look at the line he played on, you know, Ryan Strome was a guy who had never gone over 50 points in his career, and he did that like five years ago. He had by far his best season playing with Panarin. Jesper yeah. Foss is, is a quality player, and we know he brings a lot of unique things to the table. But, you know, a, a lot of people did not consider Jesper Foss to be a top six forward either. So Panarin gets put on a line with those two guys who I think – on almost any other team to begin the season definitely would not have been in the top six. And he elevated that to being for us at least, you know, especially that stretch when Miko was out being definitely the Rangers best line and one of the better lines in the league for a while. So I just yeah. think the way that he elevated his teammates um, and you know, you I've been going back recently and watching some of the passes and the assists that this guy had during the season. I mean, the way that he moves the puck and finds these seams and, and just his knack for, for making those passes, his speed, his quickness, the way that he gets back on defense really surprised me. I mean, he's not a big physical guy, but his stick work and his ability to create turnovers yeah. far exceeded my expectations. I mean, just everything that he brought. And, and if you look, I mean, I'm not huge on the advanced analytics. I think that there's something that uh, I like. I'm trying to learn more about and I look at. Um, but I don't know that anything, there's a single stat that tells a story like the be all end all of value. Um, but in terms of, uh, whether it's goals above replacement wins above replacement, Panarin led the league in both those categories on most sites that you'll look at. So the advanced analytics really paint a, a strong picture for Panarin in terms of the heart trophy. So just the total package of everything that he brought, I, I, I think that, you know, obviously I'm glad I don't have a vote because I, I don't watch other teams nearly as much as I watch the Rangers. Um, so I'm yeah. not sure that I would be the best candidate to have a vote there, but I think Panarin has a really strong case. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Jesper Foss, Ryan Strom, both, you know, pretty much having career years uh, and, you know, going to set career highs and points among other things that they're doing for the Rangers. But, you know, Jesper Foss at the end of the season, an unrestricted free agent, Ryan Strom is a restricted free agent. I realize we don't have a crystal ball. There's no way to know this for sure, but, I mean, do you think either or both of those guys can or will be back with the Rangers when all is said and done, you know, going into next season? Yeah, I think Strom is – I'm pretty confident that Strom is going to come back. I mean, yeah. you know, him being a restricted free agent, the Rangers have control in this situation. Um, and, you know, the fact is – I wrote about this in, in the last month or so too – one of the questions going into next season is their center depth. Like the Rangers really be, we talked about Mika being a legitimate number one, number one center, but beyond that, Philip Heedle stepped up and I think the Rangers feel good about him as a top nine guy moving forward. But if you take Strom off this roster, who is your other center in the top nine? We know what's right. happened with Leah, with Leah Anderson. I think that, you know, the stock on Brett Howden has dropped significantly. And uh, if he's going to play center, I think, it's probably more of a fourth line role. And, and we even saw that the Rangers seem to prefer him for a stretch on the wing. Uh, and in terms of the immediate depth in Hartford, the Rangers have more like kind of, you know, I don't know if journeyman is the right way to put it, but the Rangers don't, you know, like a Booniev is kind of a guy. Um, yeah. The Rangers really don't have a, a, a top prospect who's like ready to step in right now in that top nine. And, you know, in terms of assessing the free agent market or what the Rangers could do there, 
there's so many question marks right now about what the salary cap is going to be and, and what free agency is even going to look like given all this coronavirus stuff. You know, for a while, we thought the cap was going to go up significantly, and now it looks like it might be stagnant. There's even a remote chance that it could even get lowered because of all the revenue that the NHL is losing right now. So I think it's really hard to predict. Uh, it, it makes it more difficult to predict whether the Rangers will be able to afford bringing back a guy like Jesper Foss, and it definitely, I think, makes it even less likely than it was before that they'll be able to go out in the free agent market and plug a hole if they were to lose a guy like Strom. So I think Strom is, is almost certainly going to be back. Now, the question is, with the salary cap situation, what can the Rangers afford to pay him? I mean, he made a little over $3 million this year, and I think he's definitely earned himself a raise. But if the Rangers were thinking about trying to give a guy like Strom or Tony D'Angelo a long-term deal, you know, how much can they afford in terms of average annual value for next season? Um, that, that's a real question mark, because I think that the Rangers had every intention, and, and they cleared some money by trading Brady Shea. I think they had every intention of giving D'Angelo a significant raise, giving Strom a raise, um, and either trying to negotiate long-term or maybe a short-term, like a two-year bridge deal. Um, yeah. But now... Now, I, I don't know exactly how they're going to be able to tackle those situations because their money situation is going to be tighter. Even with the Brady Shea, Shea money off the book, their money situation is going to be pretty tight. Yeah, it's it's tricky in the NHL because it's a smaller salary cap than most sports. And all it really takes, you know, whether it's Jesper Foss or Ryan Stromer, whoever it might be, uh, if one team out there is willing to, uh, you know, pay one of your own free agents more than you're willing to pay them, very often you have to say goodbye. I mean, there's a lot of really tough choices to make because the salary cap is a lot tighter in the NHL than other sports. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, like I said, there's still a lot more questions than answers on that front right now. There's a lot of speculation. You know, there, there's speculation about compliance buyouts, which would be the equivalent of just a flat release without facing any sal salary cap penalties. I'm not convinced that's going to happen. It's a possibility, but, I, you know, I, I don't know if the Players Association would go for it. Um, so... There's, there's a lot of questions right now. I think, you know, I, I wrote about this a little bit in my mailbag uh, this week because uh, somebody asked me a question about it. I, I think the Rangers are probably looking at going into next season with a roster that looks very similar to the roster that they had this year. And uh, I think that they were pro probably going to try to bring back Jesper Fost, who's, you know, their most significant unrestricted free agent. But if the salary cap is stagnant, they might not be able to do that. And it's going to become more likely that they are going to have to fill in the bottom of the roster with some guys who played in Hartford this year, um, yeah. whether that's a Vitaly Kratzoff or, you know, a, a kind of a, a lower profile name. Um, I think that the likelihood right now is that Strom, D'Angelo, Lemieux, those restricted free agents that they have, whether it's through arbitration, which the Rangers usually try to avoid but might not be able to now, uh, or short-term bridge deals, you know, they're going to have to figure out a way to fit those guys in, give them raises that they're happy with, but probably not quite what they would have been able to offer had the salary cap gone up, um, and, and kind of move forward with a very similar-looking team, for, for at least for next season. I think once you get to the 21-22 season, when you have Lundqvist coming off the books and Mark Stahl coming off the books and Brendan Smith coming off the books, that will open up the possibilities, but I think next year we're, we're most likely looking at a similar-looking team. All right, and so that's going to do it for part one of our interview with Vince Mercagliano. Once again, a big thanks to Vince for joining the show, and a big thanks to you guys for continuing to tune in to Locked On New York Rangers. And 
As far as next week is concerned, we're definitely going to have part two of our interview with Vince. We have a couple other guests lined up for you guys as well, and we're going to get into part two of our March Madness of sports movies. So a lot to look forward to. Again, just be well, stay safe out there, and we'll all get through this together like we've all been saying. Now go ahead and tell your smart device to play the latest edition of Locked On NHL. Thanks again, guys. I'll see you next time.